Welcome to the Food Lens Podcast. I'm your host, Catherine Smart, New England food writer and founder of The Not Just Company. And I'm your host, Molly Ford, co-founder of The Food Lens, your online resource for the best restaurants, bars, and events in Boston. On each episode of our podcast, we chat with restaurant industry insiders, digging into business, passion projects, and food trends to see what's shaping the New England restaurant scene. On today's episode, chef owner Jeremy Sewell from Island Creek Oyster Bar and Row 34 will be joining us in studio. Wait, Molly, you live in Fenway, so I'm curious, like, what is your Jeremy Sewell pick? Do you just amble across the street to Island Creek Oyster Bar, or do you make the trek over to Fort Point for Row 34? Honestly, I'm a regular at Island Creek, but I make the trek to Row 34 very regularly. I'm obsessed with that warm butter lobster roll. See, you're so decisive. I'm always fighting with myself, like, do I get the mayo lobster roll? Do I get the brown butter? Usually I bully my husband or friend into ordering one so I can order the other. That's a very good idea. And as soon as I have this baby, I am headed straight to that raw bar for some <laughs> delicious beer, some oysters, and there's this flute crudo that they do that I just can't even deal with. It's so delicious. I love that. It's funny, Molly, because everybody knows Jeremy is this great seafood chef and he's the person where if someone is from out of town like of course I'm going to tell them to go to one of his restaurants to get really good sort of modern New England seafood but a lot of people don't know his family history and how deeply tied his family is to fishing and he knows so much about aquaculture and wild caught fish and sustainability when it comes to fish and so I'm super excited to kind of dive in with him and, and learn a little bit more about seafood in general. I actually think he's coming straight from the restaurant to join us in studio. So do you think he's going to bring us a lobster roll? I hope so. I didn't study. (laughs) (laughs) No studying necessary. You know, we think everyone in Boston knows about your great seafood restaurants, but not everyone really knows about your family's fishing history. And we'd love you to tell us a little bit about that and how you got started. Yeah, so my grandfather was one of the original lobstermen in York Harbor in the 1930s. Lived on the water and just decided to try to catch lobster and make money at it. And he did it until, you know, his last few years of his life. I just grew up in that world of, you know, you went out in the water and you you caught things. And I never really knew anything different as as a young guy. And I think it really gave me a view of seafood that a lot of people don't have. So, Jeremy, you're obviously running all these these major restaurants in Boston, but I think you're still sourcing lobster from your cousin, Mark. Is that right? Yeah. So my, my cousin and a couple of his buddies and my nephew catch every lobster that we serve at the restaurants most of the year. We go to Maine two, three days a week and pick up lobster right from the dock. That's awesome. Sometimes it's awesome. Sometimes it's a pain. <laughs> but. So, Jeremy, we've had a few conversations over the years about the term sustainable seafood and it being kind of a... BS term. And I know that it's a big question, but could you break that down a little bit for us? You're going to need a longer show. (laughs) Um, I don't love the word. I I think when it comes to seafood, there's a lot of square peg round hole situations. The idea of it is wonderful. I want people to understand the term sustainability derives from like what are best practices locally or globally, minimal impact on other species when it's harvested, how it's grown, how it's caught, all of these factors there's lots of different rating guides. So it is a really gray thing uh, on a a couple of reasons. One, you're not only sustaining a seafood, you're sustaining a a, a fisherman, a way of life, a coastal community, people who have invested generations into a way of living. So I I feel a certain responsibility to them. So can you give an example of this gray area that you're talking about? Shrimp's a great example. U.S. farm-raised shrimp is considered on every green list. It's a really sustainable choice. Well, I promise you, you couldn't find any in New England at a fish market. 
and we import into the United States more shrimp than any other seafood. 80% of the fish we consume in the United States, we import from other countries. That's crazy. And then we export a ton of local great fish. So I just don't think it's clean. I think another problem is we've made fishermen out to be villains in some weird way, and they shouldn't be. Those guys are just trying to make a living. Those guys get beat up with more limits and regulations than any other industry. And I've never met a fisherman who has ever looked at me and said, well, I hope I catch the last one. Like nobody thinks that they're trying to make the best of it the way they can. So I I feel a certain responsibility to support the local fishermen. It's not always the most deemed definition of sustainable choice, but it feels right to me. Bluefin tuna is on every watch list. Don't eat, go straight to hell if you eat bluefin tuna. And I've argued with other chefs and other restaurant people about it. Bluefin tuna right now in New England from the summer into the fall is a local fish. There is a very, very strict regulations on bluefin tuna. These guys can go out and harvest one fish a day. Very little bycatch, meaning that like, you know, if you drop a net in the ocean trying to catch a certain or certain type of fish, well, the fish don't know what that net's trying to catch. So it catches everything. And that's not a great way to catch things. So you, you might be over the limit. Or you're not allowed to keep those fish, or they're throwing dead fish back in the ocean. So, like, when you talk about bluefin, it's a targeted species, very heavily regulated. I feel really good about serving that fish. I'm local fish brought to the local market serving in a local restaurant. That's a great story. The story that people hear or want to cling on to is there's no more bluefin tuna. It's an endangered species. Well, I don't target it. I serve it when it's local. I'm not serving it 12 months a year. I really encourage people to do a little research, ask questions. Farmers markets in the summer in New England, there's usually somebody there selling fish. They'll tell you where it's from. They, they love it, you know. So, Jeremy, we've talked a lot about, you know, the heavy regulations on the fishing industry and how it's put a lot of pressure on that community. Uh, we generally think of fishing and fish farming to be very different, but I know that some fishermen are actually starting to dip a toe into aquaculture. You have been working with the U- University of New Hampshire, and I was lucky enough to go out on the boat with you and kind of see what you guys are doing. Can yeah. you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it's it's amazing. So we have a very small farm. We're actually expanding it quite a bit this year. Um, basically, it's a pen. 20 by 20 and inside the pen we grow steelhead trout now steelhead trout start in freshwater as rainbow trout and when they're introduced to saltwater they become steelhead trout they're grown in new hampshire hatcheries and we buy them when they're little we acclimate them to saltwater over time and then we put them in the pen on the outside of the pen on ropes growing vertically we grow mussels and kelp now the mussels and kelp and the fish kind of create this little ecosystem where they're all helping each other fish are creating waste the mussels and the kelp are helping remove the nitrogen from the water the fish put in. So, I, you know, that's how I, why I got behind it was I just think it's a really responsible way to grow in the ocean. I think the product's amazing. That's just a way to diversify your income or you don't have to feel the pressure to go out and catch as many fish or catch as many lobsters under what continues to be just, you know, hurdles that these guys face every year. It's hard when you look at it from a dollars and cents standpoint where, you know, I've invested a little bit in this and partnered with UNH just to kind of get this off the ground. And fishermen don't love giving up ocean space where they used to fish, to farm fish. That is competition to them. So we have to change how they look at it. People have an idea of what farm fish is, that it's not good. And, and I always say, well, you can go to Walmart and buy a carrot and you can go to a farmer's market and buy a carrot. It's the same with fish. You know, I'm just trying to kind of introduce several different groups to this world, whether it's the fishermen community, trying to show them what this could be and what the future might be. Chefs and food people and restaurant people and consumers to this great product that's raised in a responsible way. It's funny. You do have to put in the work. Like, I love New Deal Fish Market. Yeah, great. I yeah. do too. And, and Carl's, 
Carl's the man. Um, but there have been times where, you know, I'm on a schedule and I'm running late and I go out there and they're not open yet. And I'm sitting there like, oh. And I'm like, oh, it's because they are at the dock getting the yeah. fresh fish. And it's like you got to pay a little bit more and you got to be a little bit more patient if you want to get the real good stuff. And speaking of markets, do you have any favorite local markets that are your go-to places to buy seafood? I go in the walk and then just take it. <laughs> All besides that. Yeah. Benefits. Benefits yeah. of having your own seafood yeah. restaurants. Or, I, or in the case at my house lot in the summer, we catch a lot of seafood. Uh, I live in Metro West, so I think the Wellesley Captain Martin's Fish Market is really great. They do a nice job with their fish counter there. Red's Best at Boston Public Market would probably be my number one pick in Boston. I, I do a lot with Red's Best and their business model's great. They really buy a lot of small day boat fish from small vessels. So, Jeremy, we were talking about earlier how, you know, tuna might be super popular, but you're not ever wedded to definitely having a tuna dish. It's more important to you to see what the fishermen have available. And then that's your starting point. Is that right? Yeah. In all all of my restaurants, we print the menu every day. We buy the fish and then write the menu, which most chefs, you write a menu and then go find the product. So that's been one way we try to kind of support the local fishermen by, hey, what what was caught today? We're going to, we'll get it on the menu. Let's talk for a minute about Weinster. A what-a-stir? Did you say wine? Or am I just imagining it because I am counting down the days until this baby is born and I can pop a celebratory bottle? Well, Weinster curates great wines from small producers in the U.S. You browse their collection of unique, hard-to-find wines, and then they ship it straight to your door with fast, cheap delivery. Wait a minute. Is this a wine club? Like those pricey fruit basket and Chardonnay things my parents used to pick out from catalogs in the 90s? Definitely not. Weinster does have a club program with special member pricing for some of the best bottles. But there's no commitment, and it starts at just $79 per shipment. Plus, unlike a lot of other clubs, the selections are from small production wineries. You have the option to repurchase your favorite bottles, and you get 24-7 access to an expert wine advisor. Oh, and you get free shipping on wine gifts that you want to send to friends or family or... or co-hosts? Yes, co-hosts. Way to ruin your surprise baby gift. Whoops. So you're telling me I don't need to pack up my baby or put on pants to get great wine? And when I do finally leave the house, I can show up to book club with something so much better than the usual grocery store swill? Exactly. They only work with real wine made by real people, not the mass-produced brands that overwhelm store shelves. So anyone and everyone who loves wine should head to winester.com for more information. That's W-I-N-E-S-T-Y-R.com. So Jeremy, last time I was in the restaurant, not only did I see a lot of local species that maybe I hadn't seen before, but I also noticed a lot more people eating whole fish. Is that a trend that you're seeing as well? Yeah. Yeah. That's been great for us. You know, years ago, well, it's got bones in it. It's got the skin on it. That's one of my top sellers at Row 34. We sell so much whole fish. It's wonderful to see. We serve whole roasted bass heads in the summer. I can't believe how many they sell. You know, you put a whole roasted bass head for four people on a table and they're just eating with their hands, picking the meat off the head and the collars. We do that with the tails. It's been awesome to kind of see that. I think people in general are just more willing to try things that chefs put on menus. It's true. I think about squid a lot because I know Jeremy has this exciting squid program. And like you think about calamari and all the bad calamari that we've eaten and, you know, tough overcooked squid. It really just doesn't get the love that it deserves. I recently read that our local squid actually gets shipped off to Asia to get cleaned and sent back to us, which is kind of crazy. 
I had heard that too, and it's completely nuts. It makes me think of when, you know, clothes say like made in America and it's not actually that way. I mean, the amount of like effort and time, it's it's totally crazy. They get shipped in these huge frozen blocks and sometimes they're treated with chemicals um, and then they get shipped back and defrosted. And what I think is kind of the craziest part is people can label that as local. And it's like local that's trotted around the globe and eaten a lot of gross preservatives. Yeah, so I knew that. So I, I knew that that happened. And I knew that was part of the industry. You know, so much of our local squid gets shipped overseas. And that's a big conversation of, well, it's cheaper for these guys to send it overseas and have it cleaned and sent back than it is to have it cleaned locally. But what I did this year was I worked with Red's Best and I basically bought and froze 25,000 pounds of locally caught squid that they're going to clean for us. That squid has never, has never left New England, won't leave New England. And we're getting all this great local squid. It, it's kind of an odd thing when you have to change people's perception of it. Or like, well, you were serving local squid before. Well, I was, but it was I had a couple of stamps in the passport to go overseas and then come back. So, you know, it's a little more expensive. It's a little bit more logistics challenging and planning, you know, but it's great. The product is amazing. And I feel really good about kind of supporting that industry. Yeah, that's incredible. So can you tell us what types of seafood we should be looking out for this fall? You know, when you get to the end of the summer and into the fall, it's it's really amazing and it's feverish out there. The whales are feeding, the birds are feeding, the fish are feeding, and it's teeming with activity, which is great because the fish are really good. They've been fattening up. And I also think like fall shellfish and fall lobster are the best. Incredible oysters, clams, mussels. And then, you know, lots of great striper and bluefish and tuna still in, in the Atlantic waters here off of New England. So anything like that cod, haddock, hake, pollock, all that stuff is usually, you know, has a late summer, fall season that is great. So eat a lot of seafood. We're making a reservation Seriously. Right <laughs> yeah. I'm hungry. Yeah. We need to have a food I should have brought dinner lobster. party. Yeah. 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 Where's the clam bake? I thought that's how this I know. worked. I forgot to bring lobster rolls, you know. I actually ordered, Artie and I, uh, my husband, we ordered lobster rolls to go in Portsmouth because our three-year-old Jack was sleeping in the back of the car. And so we had like our fancy row 34 lobster rolls in the dirty SUV with a snoring child in the back I, and he woke up fine. and he was like where's mine <laughs> like I saved you these potato chips sorry you know my kids love row 34 Portsmouth the best and the only reason they do is because there's a soft serve ice cream machine there and I let them go make their own ice cream it has nothing to do with the food or anything it's <laughs> I want they want soft serve ice cream simple pleasure who yeah. doesn't love soft serve especially New England like that's a thing in yeah I, I learned that moving out here yeah. <laughs> so I put a soft serve machine in New Hampshire I eat more than we sell but <laughs> Well, I think we should wrap it up with our rapid fire round of questions. Are you okay. ready for this? Yes. <laughs> All right. Name your favorite Boston dumpling. Uh, gourmet Dumpling House is kind of my go-to Boston dumpling. Dive. Bukowski's is kind of the classic. Favorite dessert. I would say my go-to is Gracie's ice cream in Somerville. I know that's not like a traditional like sit-down dessert in a restaurant, but I think that what they're doing over there is like, that's legit. That totally works. Their fluff cones Blueberry, are irresistible. Yeah. Blueberry crumble ice cream, yeah. Yum. And lastly, your favorite date spot. Well, you know, four restaurants, three kids. There's not a lot of dates. But uh, <laughs> I would say for Asta in, uh, in Back Bay. Catherine, have you signed up for our monthly newsletter? Molly, I'm embarrassed to say that until recently I actually hadn't. 
I thought I was on top of all things TFL, but it turns out I was missing out, especially on the cocktail recipes that I'm now clipping like a grandmother and filing away for as soon as I give birth. Well, I'm a little offended it took you this long, but every month we highlight new content ranging from drool-worthy can't-miss dishes to neighborhood guides, cocktail recipes, upcoming events, and more. And you and Sarah throw the best events. I'm waiting with bated breath to see if you do Valentine's Day again this year. I am still thinking about the charcuterie boards and the raw bar. Well, now you'll be the first to know since you actually signed up. To sign up, just go to thefoodlens.com and click on the subscribe button in the upper left-hand corner. It's the best way to avoid food FOMO in Boston. This podcast was produced by Ali Pham. A special thanks to the folks at the PRX Podcast Garage. If you enjoyed what you heard, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts or share the show with friends and family. Your help means so much to us. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show and check out thefoodlens.com for the best restaurants, bars, and events in Boston.